0: One for three. One for three? Or yeah, one and That's two? what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby.
1: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 710 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, May the 6th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And today's show is brought to you by Built Bar, who is a sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network for the entire month of March. And on that Locked On Podcast Network, you can find team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as all the other big four sports covered for you, plus the college channel side of things, too. we got national shows, including channel. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, Hollinger and Duncan. Lots of great stuff for you. Even without sports, we are churning out the content for you on the Lockdown Podcast Network and we appreciate any and all support in the form of ratings, reviews and subscriptions on your favorite podcast platform. So thanks in advance for taking the small amount of time it requires to do that. Uh, also, if you're a hockey fan, if you're a Leafs fan, I was on today's episode of Locked On Leafs with Mike DeStefano. We talked about TSN's all-time Maple Leafs teams and it was a lot of fun. So please go and Check that out. It was a blast. Uh, All right. On today's show, let's get to it. I am joined by former Raptors point guard Alvin Williams. He's obviously doing some work for Sportsnet over the last couple years as well. He's a wonderful analyst and he was kind enough to join me for about 40 minutes today on the show to talk about uh, all sorts of things. His arrival in Toronto under some very insane circumstances, those teams with Vince Carter in the in the playoffs against the Sixers and his good personal friend Allen Iverson guarding him, the challenge that that presented. We talked about the following season, the 01-02 season where the team went on this insane run at the end of the year after losing 17 of 18 and nearly falling out of the playoff race and talked about the the crazy run they went on to make the playoffs all without Vince Carter that was really great. We talked about the sort of years where things kind of fell apart as well for the team. Talked about his relationship with Kyle Lowry too and sort of his impressions of Kyle and the feelings he had when he ended up winning a title last season, both as Villanova Wildcats. And so great chat with Alvin Williams, some rapid fire stuff at the end as well. And it was it was lovely. And so thanks to him for joining the show. And uh, we're going to get to it now. There's no need to, to wait around. Let's get to the conversation with Alvin Williams. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar quite literally ever. It's a protein bar, but it tastes like a candy bar. There's 16 amazing flavors as well. Eight chocolate nut flavors and eight chocolate nut-free flavors. You know, you get raspberry cream, you got orange cream, you've got a whole bunch of different kinds in there. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate as well. They're soft and easy to chew, and they are unlike anything you've ever tried when it comes to protein bars. You can have some that are very gritty and take five hours to chew. You have to put them in the microwave to heat up so you can just get your teeth into it. Built Bars are basically like a Mars bar, except they're not terribly unhealthy for you. They're actually very good for you. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious person. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. For example, if you want the peanut butter brownie, you got 20 grams of protein in that bad boy, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and just 3 grams of net carbs. The mint brownie has 15 grams of protein, just 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs and the important thing to note is that built bars have seven times less sugar than cliff bars that's crazy buy a built bar they're delicious the toffee almond is fantastic go to builtbar.com and use promo code Lockedon. on you'll get 10 bucks off your first order they deliver to canada no worries there use promo code locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com
2: the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up With all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: All right, let's get to it now. The conversation with myself and former Raptors point guard Alvin Williams. Enjoy. All right, joining me now on Lockdown Raptors is the man who sits number four all-time among Toronto Raptors in total assists and a man who sits first all-time in game-winning daggers against the New York Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. It is Alvin Williams. Alvin, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing fantastic. Really great to chat with you. You are a fan favorite, obviously, with the Raptors. And I think uh, the the people are yearning to hear the the lookbacks into the history right now. And I think you're a wonderful person to have on to talk. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Alvin, I kind of want to start with you to go back. I've always been fascinated by your arrival in Toronto because it is gotta be one of the stranger situations for any incoming player you can imagine you're traded in the middle of your rookie year from the Blazers you're coming into a team that just traded its best player and first ever draft pick for you you're going to an expansion team in another country and the main guy you were traded to Toronto with Kenny Anderson doesn't even report to the team do you remember feeling any sort of extra pressure upon coming in what's going through your mind as you come to Toronto under all of those extremely bizarre circumstances And I didn't, I didn't
0: know what the heck was going on. It was was funny. It started even from there, like right, right before all of those things were happening, I was riding the bench for the Portland trailblazers and, um, Kenny Anderson got hurt and the backup John Crowdy got hurt and I was just thrusted into the game. But you know, the team, the team was playing, we had a very talented team and that stretch while I was starting, I think we were like nine and one. And then, um, we went to all-star break and right there the coach told me like you know teams are going to be coming after you because I was on a one-year deal and he was like but it's really important for you to understand that you have to have you should have always have a coach that believes in you and an owner that can pay you and at the time Paul Allen the late Paul Allen was the owner of the Trailblazers and he was like you'll 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 be taken care of here, and we don't want you to go anywhere. And I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. And then about a day later, two days later, I got (laughs) traded. So it was like not knowing what the heck was going on, what was true, what wasn't true. And when I got traded to Toronto, and Kenny Anderson was saying the whole time that he was not going to Toronto. And I'm like, how in the heck can that be possible? How can somebody dictate that they're not gonna go somewhere if they get traded? But sure enough, myself and Gary Trent, we flew to Toronto from Portland and Kenny Anderson was not on the uh, on the plane. And Grun- Grunwald, Glenn Grunwald was the GM at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember like myself and Gary Trent walking up to uh, Glenn and he was waiting for one more. And we looked at him and was like, Kenny Anderson's not with us. So it was like, i tell you a long story short, I didn't have any expectations. I didn't have any clue. I was just excited to play basketball. And I knew I was going to have an opportunity to play basketball. And um, so I didn't have any expectations, but at the same time, I was a rookie and I didn't really know what was what at the time.
1: Yeah. What's the conversation like with Gary Trent on that flight? Like <laughs> that's gotta be an interesting one. <laughs> Gary
0: Trent, that was my main man. we, we got traded together, but I don't remember talking. I don't remember the conversation. I'm knowing me, I probably fell asleep on a flight. I I sleep <laughs> on a flight. So but uh once once me and G got here together, you know, we spent a lot of time together. I didn't know anyone, so you know, he was the only person I knew. So we would spend a lot of lunches together and dinners and practice, and, and that was that was very interesting. Two two totally different personalities, but we meshed, so it, it was all good
1: yeah did um you ever have any contact with Kenny Anderson after the fact or was that kind of it with the with the conversations with him when you weren't teammates anymore
0: well yeah we um you know when we played against each other or competed you know he would come in town and you know I would, we probably would be out at the same restaurant we hung out a few times but um and I also later on was traded to Boston but uh, from Toronto to Danny Fortson, but the trade got rescinded. So I was mm-hmm. about to be his teammate again, huh. but the trade got rescinded and, and the trade never happened. So that was, that was another opportunity I could have played with Kenny Anderson.
1: Fair enough. And so you're there through those early years of the Raptors and then you're kind of there in line with when Vince kind of starts to take off as well. And that's got to be, I talked to Doug Christie on the podcast earlier this year when he was in town at Sacramento and just sort of getting the impression from him that although he's your teammate and you probably see it every day, you're still kind of in awe of Vince and the things he's doing out there. Did you kind of get that feeling? I know you were like sharing a backcourt with him. So maybe you can't get caught up in, you know, all of the sort of hoopla of the, of the insanity phenomenon and all that stuff. But were you able to sort of take a second to realize like, this is something special that this guy's doing? Oh, definitely. It wasn't
0: hard at all, no matter how much you play. Like, I'm still a fan as well, you know, and I appreciate the game and I appreciate talent. And Vince was one of those guys that was a special dynamic player that you're not going to see many guys like that. You're not going to see the game or him make the game look so easy, right? He was athletically, he was, you know, top-notch. You know, skill-wise, he was better than people gave him credit for. And he had – he had a – intellect for the game that was that was pretty much off the chart too so he he covered he checked a lot of boxes for being a great basketball player so you know the things that he was doing a lot of times the first time I was seeing as well so if you saw something on the highlight or in the news or in the game he didn't do all that stuff in practice you know it just pretty much stayed paced, stayed balanced in the practice, but in the game, he really performed. So I was surprised and shocked and all just like the next person just watching the game because he was doing some amazing things out there that I've seen for the first time.
1: And so on the topic of Vince, I mean, we look at the 2001 playoffs. Vince is obviously a huge factor in all that. And we'll get to the shot and all that stuff and and the follow-up kind of from that. Um, But that year when you guys kind of take off, like that is a meteoric season for Vince. He, you know, kind of becomes one of the faces of the league, I think, during that time. And you're here on this Raptors team in their first ever playoff series where they have a chance to move on in Game 5 against the Knicks. And it's you who hits the shot that everybody remembers. I was watching back the highlights today. First of all, it is just like I've been noticing this too watching the the last dance too. It's just like an entirely different game. It blows my mind how just like almost stagnant it seems and how it's just like a lot of passing around waiting for an opening that's never coming because the defenses are so set. Um, It's just kind of staggering the difference. But watching you in that game down the stretch, you have the ball in your hand in the last minute and you almost lose it before Vince recovers it and then gets it back to you for that shot, what's going through your head on that shot there in particular? And do you ever go back and look at that shot and think, oh, man, I'm really glad Vince recovered that ball because otherwise things could have gone terribly? I was almost in a frantic sweat uh, (laughs) when that play
0: happened. And I'll never forget, you know, Vince being quick with it, you know, getting a loose ball, you know, part, like once again, that's the part of the game that a superstar, that's an intangible that, Right, getting the loose ball, getting getting that ball, that, that a 50-50 ball. And like when I teach the kids back here in Philadelphia, I'm always like, you gotta have the attitude, the 50-50 balls, you have to get 100% of the time. Like mm-hmm. those are things that make a difference. And for Vince to be able to do that and get me the ball in enough time where I can get a shot off, you know, before that shot clock expired. And I think a lot of people get it confused. They think that's the game clock, but that was really the shot clock. Mm-hmm game that was you know it'll put it put the dagger in but it was a big play like just being in that position there's nothing you can think you can't think because it's action is going so fast so a lot of times that's the easiest shot when you just have nothing else to do but shoot it and not worry about anything so it was just one of those situations fortunately enough Vince recovered the loose ball got it to me and I was in the right place at the right time and luckily it was a shot to help us go to the to the next level and for us as a franchise You know, that was big for us. You know, that was our first series, playoff series that we won. So it was a huge, it was a huge moment for us at that time. And it was something that I'll always remember and, and be glad to be a part of.
1: Do you recall sort of the the atmosphere of that game? Because this is still before the Knicks get very depressing in the the following <laughs> two decades. Like they're they're just on the end of making three finals over the course of like six or seven years. Uh, you know they're still a good team at this point. What was the was it was it intimidating going into the Garden at that time? Because uh, you know you hear and you kind of see glimpses of it once in a while when the team is good. It's a raucous kind of terrifying environment to play in. Did you kind of get that back in 2001 when you guys were there for deciding game five? No way. That
0: was, that's, that's what you, that's what you live for, man.
1: Yeah. You live,
0: you live for that moment. You live, you live for that intensity. You live for that energy. And I'm lucky because last year, the year, not last year, the year before we were playing them also in the first round of the playoffs and we got swept mm-hmm. and I wasn't playing. I was pretty much under the bench and I, uh, I, um, remember saying to myself was before I die, I have to play a playoff game in Madison Square Garden. And mm-hmm. it was just so lucky in time that I got the very next year. And not only did I play, I was I was a big part. I, I was starting and and it, it was good. And in game one, we lost game one, but I remember having a, a, a good game for myself. And but we lost, but that sparked a lot of confidence there. And when you do well in Madison Square Garden, there's no other feeling. Like, there's no other feeling that you have. And also, I was fortunate enough, going to Villanova, I played a lot of games in Madison Square Garden in the Big East finals and tournament and stuff like that. So there was a lot. I've always played in Madison Square Garden where there was a lot of energy. <clears throat> but I was, I was embracing, you know, going to game five and, you know, getting the opportunity to beat those guys on their floor. It was nothing better than that. And plus, once again, Vince Carter... There's a lot of elements to that. Vince Carter, people came out to see VC. You know, Charles Oakley and Chris Childs, they're going back. We had just traded Mark Jackson. <clears throat> so Mark Jackson, we were playing against them. You know, Marcus Canby, you know, a former Toronto Raptor. So there was a lot of things going on with that, like the storyline. So it was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. I was I was stoked to play in that game.
1: You were awesome in that series, man. You had 19 in game one. You were 23, and then you had 18 in the last two games. That's – uh. That's impressive, impressive stuff. Like that was a a grinded out series, if I recall, as most series were, I guess, in the early two thousands. And you, uh you know, that 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 team was. God, I, I love that team so much, man. I, I was at Game Six against the Sixers in round two when you guys won by 12 you guys send it to uh game seven and I I mean I I've covered a lot of the games throughout the playoffs in recent years and maybe it's the fact that I was like seven years old when that game took place but I don't think I've ever been in a building that was as over the moon as the building was in that game six against Philly uh you had 15 points in that game as well I, I mean we saw this past year and you were part of it with the coverage and everything. We, we saw just how, um, you know, rabid the fan base got. Did you ever get that sense during that run as you guys continued on through that playoff run? And I guess game six, the last home game of that season would have been the peak of it all. Did you get that sort of feeling that the, the city was kind of getting behind you guys, or was it still maybe a little bit new and fresh and just didn't quite have the hold that the Raptors did last year over the city? Oh, no, we, it was, it was bananas, man. Like, mm-hmm.
0: I just knew the ener- the Raptor fans were always energized. They weren't maybe as knowledgeable or knew about the game as much, but it was, mm-hmm. it was I guess it was new, so that's what you had to expect. But the, the energy was there, the love, the support was always there. It was never a situation where we lacked. That was a lack, um, but when we were in the playoffs, I remember like cars being painted half and half. Cause I want to say that the <laughs> Leafs were in the playoffs as the well. So, yeah. so purple cars, you saw black and white cars, you saw flags going down the street, people yelling your name. And I remember my parents being in Toronto for the playoffs and they were like, wow, like they're calling my son name or, you know, <laughs> the energy. So the fans were definitely big time. They were supportive. and. That made us, I like I was so disappointed when we lost to the Sixers that, you know, it was just one of those things where we lost, but, you know, all that stuff almost stopped. Like no more, no more cars being painted and all that type of stuff. So it was, the fans were always behind us. The fans were always great, no matter how good we were or how fresh the team was in the city. But it was, I, th- I just think now it's more nationwide Mm-hmm. You know, it's all around Canada. And once again, the players, I mean, the fans do have more of an understanding and, and more, of a, um, more, more of a feeling towards the team and the sport of the overall game of basketball.
2: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: I uh, we, we have this in common. We were both disappointed when you guys lost in Game 7 to <laughs> the Sixers. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah. I think, my first introduction to real sports heartbreak. Uh, there was a couple of Leaf series before that, I think, that probably got me, but nothing quite like that game seven Um, I've talked with Glenn Glenn Grunwald on this podcast before about that whole game seven day and Vince going to his graduation in North Carolina. And I have never had an issue with it. I guess I was seven years old and I didn't really understand at the time. But even in hindsight, it doesn't really seem like that big a deal to me. I think there's kind of been mixed reports as to what the, the players felt at the time. I think there was some, maybe some word that Oak was a little bit upset about it. What was your sort of read on that whole situation? Were you, you know, upset that Vince had done that on the day that you guys were playing game seven? Or was it such a easy flight on a private jet to go do a thing that he would wanted to do his entire life that you were sort of there and supporting him? And, you know, the fact that he showed up and played for the game was enough for you. Like, where was your head at with all that?
0: Honestly, I didn't even know where he was. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how I missed it. I don't know if I'm just not remembering it. But, you know, I don't, I don't remember actually finding out that he wasn't there or a gradu- or he was at a graduation probably until the pregame meal because we didn't have a shoot around like we typically do. or right. It was no situation where he was missing from anything. So, you know, the pregame meal, he wasn't there. And I think that's when I may have found out. I'm not sure, but it wasn't a big deal for me. And once again, I, I I told everybody this, that I was so focused on, I had to guard Allen Iverson. So mm-hmm. my focus, I'm watching film, I'm getting rests. I'm, you know, I'm I'm just focused on that. And, but I knew he was going to play. So I didn't, it wasn't a big thing, but it's funny. Like when you think back and then like, I'm just the type of person I like, need to think back. And I was like, damn, what if, what if it was bad weather or what if the plane didn't, you know, what, what if, what if he couldn't make it back? And like, how would somebody react to that? Like, and it just goes to show, you know, as people, Vince has, you know, had different, he had, he had different priorities, he had certain priorities. And, you know, fortunately for everybody, everything was taken care of. Mm-hmm. Did we lose because of Vince? Hell no, right? We wouldn't have been in the game if it wasn't because of Vince. But it's one of them situations where as a team, I think as teammates, we handled it as best we could. I think we have su- we all supported each other. We all went out there and had each other's back. And we gave ourselves a chance to win at the end of the game. We lost by one game seven, you know, to the team who went to the final. So it, w- it was one of those type of drag them out games that, you know, I was fortunate enough once again to be a part of. But I definitely didn't have any ill feelings or any
1: worries or any type of thoughts behind Vince making that decision at the time. You mentioned you had to guard AI. Do you, do you go around and gloat about the fact that you held Allen Iverson to an eight of twenty seven line in a game seven?
0: Uh-, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I actually do, and then it comes back <laughs> to
1: the reality that he had about eight hundred points on me the
0: rest of the game. So, you know, we, in living here in Philadelphia, I'm quickly reminded how many points he put up on us, and with me guarding him, and it's crazy because it's a network here that. It always shows, like, you know, history. Like, everybody's showing, like, past games. But they definitely do, like, specials on Allen Iverson. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got a chance to play against A.I. since Georgetown days. And then, in, you know, professionally. And then that particular season, which was his MVP season, we played him seven times in the playoffs. And I guess, like, four times in a regular season. So, that was, like, 11 times I played against the MVP of the NBA. So, just imagine how, how much I got lit up that season just by one individual. So... <laughs> Great talent, man. That's my main man. And, you know, he's a great person to compete against. But uh, he did a great job. We did a great job as a team to you hold him. We double teamed him a lot that game. But, you know, he came off the ball and, and started, you know, passing using his teammates. And we got killed. Jumaine Jones, I remember having like 16 points and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, like, Jumaine Jones was kind of like the player I was against the Knicks where people didn't expect much. But then, you know, once the opportunity came, they really, they really made the other team pay the price. So that one game, he killed us. And AI, I think, AI had 16 assists that game. So He
1: did, yeah. yeah it was one of games. Uh, yeah, I won't make you relive game three if you don't want to with the 54 points. Uh, we could move on if you'd like. But, like, <laughs> AI, like, such an interesting player for so many reasons. I mean, he was the face of the league there, kind of in the post-Jordan era a little bit there. And you mentioned you have a relationship with him. And, like, one of the things I love about AI is – he seems today like one of the guys who's most excited about the current state of the NBA, which you don't often get with guys from this era in the nineties. You get a lot of guys who are grumpy about threes and stuff like that. AI and kind of like, I think maybe against what people would have originally thought about him considering he seemed like this kind of ordinary abrasive guy. Like he really just seems excited about where basketball is at. Do you get that impression of talking to him and, you know, sort of, like maybe peel back the curtain a little bit on AI if you have that sense of him is, you know, what's beyond that sort of uh, maybe not so happy to be talking to the media exterior that he kind of put up.
0: No, I definitely feel that. And it's true. It's genuine. like, he's a genuine guy. What you see is what you're going to get with him. You know what I mean? You can tell through the interviews, you can tell how he carry himself. You can tell how he's never changed. Right. Mm. He's always been him. And he is one of those guys. And I remember we were, I'm a year older than AI, but he came out a year before I did in college. And I remember going to his house with a former teammate of mine, Kerry Kittles. And we went over his house when he was playing for the Sixers. And he was telling me everything that I did in college. <laughs> so that let me know that he was still watching the game and he's a fan. Like He's a fan like we talk about. So I think he appreciates the game. I think he appreciates the players that are, are in their position. And those players that he's watching, they looked up to him so it's only right for him to support and 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 you know and just follow those guys and definitely just and just continue continue to motivate those guys and that's the one thing that bothers me about a lot of the older players today's players how critical they are of the younger players mm-hmm. because it's not right because a lot of the players they looked up to those guys right mm-hmm. they looked up and they modeled modeled their games after certain guys so I think it's only right man that that the more the support should be there more from the older players as
1: as as a source of inspiration as a source of of just support as well. Absolutely. Uh so we got to go to the next season after the 2001 playoff loss Alvin because this is to me one of the most fascinating game blogs you'll ever see on basketball reference. You guys are 29 and 21. You're coasting along, you know, near a home court advantage spot in the East. And then things kind of fall apart. You guys lose 17 of 18. Then Vince gets hurt and you guys win 12 of the last 14 to make it into the playoffs. Just a bizarre series of events and, and, stra- and changes of momentum. then you guys go into the playoffs against the Pistons who are the two seed. And obviously we know what they go on to later in the decade. And you take them to five all without Vince, what the hell happened that season? What, what what turned in that last 20 or 14 games, whatever it was, that, that got you guys on that run to get into the playoffs and, you know, give the Pistons a real run because it is truly perplexing to me just with all the circumstances and everything that took place that you guys were able to do that. Injuries, injuries throughout that season. That was a really inconsistent
0: season. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost some players uh but I remember I remember going before we went on that 12 game run I don't know if you have the log there but we were I think we were in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and I remember coach Wilkins called myself and Vince to to his room and told us that he was shutting us both down like the season was over we had to win like a certain like 12 10 out of 12 or something like that in order to make the playoffs mm-hmm. and I remember him telling us we're gonna he's like we're gonna I'm gonna sit you guys down and and call it you know call it a season you guys get ready for you know what I mean whatever you need to get ready for because I had I had like crazy bone spurs in my ankle right and I think Vince's knee was hurt or something but I remember asking coach Wilkins I said coach are we out the playoffs he was like, no, not not you know technically, but you know it's not looking good. I said, well, I want to play until the playoffs, until we're out. And we went on a crazy run. Vince, Vince ended up sitting out. I continued to play, and it was just one of those things. It was just playing through pain. I remember having to get my ankle adjusted so the bone spurs wouldn't, you know, they would. I guess I don't know, but they move them around, Well, I wouldn't feel the pain as much. But you know the trainer did a great job giving me, getting me prepared for practices and games throughout that time, and we just went on a crazy run to get into the playoffs, right? To get in the playoffs, and that was what happened. I know I think I, I think our schedule was favorable, but you know we we just start we came together, and you know we didn't we know we didn't have our superstar, but we had to come together as as a team, and we did a good job of it, and and we just we end up making the playoffs, and that was that was the heart of that team. That team had a lot of heart. That team was a was a manly team, and that was just a part of it, man. We had Chris Childs, Antonio Davis, we had we had these guys, Jyd, we had uh, uh, Del Curry, we had a lot of Mo Pete, we had a lot of players, man, that just played with so much heart, and and that was one of the things that got us through there and got us in the playoffs.
1: I remember, Keon Clark had a crazy run to close that Keon season Clark. too. Yeah. Oh. God, yeah, Cleon Clark was great, man. Like,
0: we had we had Eric Montrose was on it. Like we had some, we had some, we had some players that really were dogs that wanted to play. We didn't have we didn't have the talent that we had the year before. Like we had, but we 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 had actually we did have the talent. We did, but we didn't have the same makeup of the team. I think we were missing Oak, you know. And but at the same time, at the, if we would have Vince during that playoff run
1: we would have, I think we would have, we would have, we would have moved on. For sure. And so from then on, you guys kind of, you know, the the whole Vince thing kind of takes over the team, right. And you know, the next season is not super successful. And then you're hurt for the entire 2004 five season in your sideline with injury. And this is while all the Vince stuff is going on, the trade, the I'm not going to dunk anymore. What do you remember from your experience that year, sort of sitting on the sideline watching all that unfold? It sucked, man, because,
0: I was watching my career come to an end, pretty much. Not knowing that, mm-hmm. but I was watching it. And I was watching you know, a lot of change in the front office, a lot of change from our medical, uh, our training staff. I remember us having a, a trainer. you know, He was coming, he was from the minor leagues. I think he was like a my, Yankees minor league trainer or something like that. And we had him on staff and, and not to throw him under the bus, he just wasn't equipped for the type of surgery that I had and the injury that I had. So I was a little pissed off about that. I wanted to, tr- I wanted to get treatment, you know, or get rehab, you know, where at a different place where I could get focused, 100% focused on me, so I can get back and play. But I was denied that, um, and then just watching just the makeup of how things were happening with Vince, and that and that's what happens when you have an organization at the time that. is is having a lot of change so everybody's trying to figure things out you know I'm trying to figure things out for myself Vince is not happy with things that are happening in the front office you know we get a new coach and a lot of things just you know it just wasn't it just wasn't there for 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 a team to be successful for organization to be successful so it was a lot of thoughts going on a lot of ill thoughts going on but um that's that's part of pro sports. And, and those are the things you have to go through for the Raptors to get to where they are today. I think that's some of the things you have to go through. But unfortunately, some things were compromised and some things never really got back in place. So yeah.
1: it was a dark time at that time for myself personally, and I'm sure for some of the people in the organization. Yeah, I remember those couple seasons were uh, pretty deflating as like a 12-year-old fan who had been so invested in the earlier teams. And then I remember Kevin O'Neal came in and <laughs> I, 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 I spoke to Glenn a, a couple of years ago on the podcast, like I said, and he told me that during the start of that 3 4 season, the NBA front office called him to ask why you guys couldn't score any points. And that was the... Uh, the kevin o'neill effect i think um just uh, yeah weird time weird time after such wonderful highs those first couple years and it was a bummer to see how things kind of ended up for you as well with how things you know took place injury wise and kind of took you out yeah. of it but so that was the following
0: yeah. that was the following year yeah. that we met we we were out When kevin o'neill came it was it was funny because it was like the thing where Everybody from the whispers or things I was hearing outside, we needed a, a harder coach, a, a, you know, <laughs> one of those type of coaches. And Lenny Wilkins was the more laid back coach, but Lenny Wilkins had the luxury to be laid back because we had veterans on our team back right. then, right? So that kept things in order. But once once Lenny Wilkins left, and then you know, um, Scott O'Neill came, he was the rah 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 like, and it just <laughs> didn't work. Like, it, it just didn't work. And that was actually, I can just see where, where I, that first time I think I witnessed where team gave up on a coach. Right. Like just tired of the antics, tired of, you know, the personality, tired of the yelling and all that type of stuff. And and that was one of those things because we had a good team. And we had a team where I remember going into, like, the All-Star break or before Jalen Rose got hurt, before I got hurt. Um, we were, like, almost fourth in, in the East. Mm -hmm. And then we dropped almost, we dropped shit, we dropped out of the playoffs. So I don't even think we didn't make the playoffs. So Mm -hmm. it was just one of those things where we had a good enough team to be really successful, but the mixture was just not good. The chemistry was not there.
1: Yeah, I feel like Kevin O'Neill is the kind of coach that would never get hired in today's NBA where it's about players and empowerment. That seems like a way to send your players looking for elsewhere to play. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple more for you here, Alvin. So I I want to talk to you about Kyle Lowry a little bit. You know, you guys are both Villanova guys, a guy that you're pretty close. Uh, In doing some research, it seems as though you were the go-to character reference for reporters when Kyle first got traded to Toronto back in 2012. Um, You're quoted in a whole bunch of stories uh, upon his arrival. What was the experience like for you watching him last year in the finals? I mean, you even did a sit-down with him in the middle of the finals for Sportsnet, and you see him complete his arc with the Raptors with that title. I know for me it was, like, incredibly satisfying as a fan who got to see him sort of come and go through all these ups and downs and have it all culminated with that title. For you, I mean, and in particular with that Game 6 performance, what was your feeling watching Kyle kind of complete his legacy, as it were, after, you know, some ups and downs in the previous years.
0: Proud. I mean, I I was very proud. I was, uh, I mean, that was it, you know, just, I know everything that he's been through when it came, when it comes to Toronto and those type of things and expectations and, you know, the ups and the downs and all that type of stuff. And it was just a, it was a proud moment for me, just to see how he handled himself, you know, on and off the floor. You know, I, I've watched them, like you go through the arenas, I watch them and I see his family there. I see how, he's, how they support him and how he, he plays for them and he lives for them. And, you know, even an incident where, you know, one of the, one of the I guess, minority or part owner of the team pushed mm-hmm. him, shoved him. And, you know, the type of, not the reaction itself, but the type of, type of media attention it got. And for him to, you know, still handle it and stay focused and lead his team, Is something, but most importantly, man, he Kyle sacrificed a lot, and that's what it takes to win a championship. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice, because for him to be in a situation where he was like the number one guy with Demar going, and then Kawhi coming, and then Kawhi not playing every other game or whatever the case may be, and Kyle will have to adjust. Kyle will have to, you know, adjust each game from whether he needed to be a scorer, facilitator, leader, play the back. Like so, he had to go through a lot, and a lot of that team had to do the same thing. So. I was just, it was a proud moment watching Kyle, you know, be a champion and and being a huge part
1: of this organization's success and everything he's getting is, is well-deserved. Did you get to see him the night they, were you there uh, when they won it with Sportsnet or when was the first sort of contact yeah. you had with him?
0: Yeah, I was there. You know, I got a chance to interview him as well, myself and Brad Faye, and uh, gave him a hug and you know, I didn't get to hang out after. I mean, that's when I realized I was an old man. I went back to my room <laughs> and fell asleep, and um, and flew back home. So, but um, yeah, I, I was I was fortunate enough to be there. I was fortunate enough to see him and do some post game interviews. So it was an awesome
1: feeling. Okay, we got a few rapid fire questions here, Alvin. Then we'll let you go. Uh, first up, go to quarantine snack for Alvin Williams. Man. I don't even have anything that's
0: in here that's sweet. I'm, I'm, I've been snacking like a, like a snack, <laughs> man. but not,
1: not one. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't have one, man. I really don't. Well, the correct answer is, uh, was Reese's pieces. You didn't get that, but that's okay. We can move on to the next question. Uh, <laughs> hey, man. Hey, I, I have had those. There you go. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> what is the most difficult homeschooling subject for you to teach? math math
0: yeah, yeah
1: i feel that uh next one here were you pro or anti dinosaur jerseys when you first put them on pro yeah they're really good i, I was anything as long as i put an nba jersey on man <laughs> fair enough i was i was kind of cold on them for a while and then they brought them back this year and i i fell all back in love they're really really good um I'll take me back yeah, for sure. A couple more most fun teammate from your time in Toronto.
0: Oh, man, I can't name one most fun. I, I had a lot of fun teammates, man. Charles Oakley, Chris mm-hmm. Childs, Michael Stewart, mm-hmm. those guys. Delk, like it's, it, it, I know it's a one answer thing, but it's like we had so many great veterans on our team. Yeah, that you know, it's so many stories in a locker room. Or yeah, you know, I remember. Being with Muggsy and Muggsy would say, Young fella, come to my room. And <laughs> we'll sit there and just old stories when he played at Charlotte and he played against D Brown, who D Brown was there when he, when he played at Boston. And then D Brown would tell me to, You know, young fella, let's go get your mind right. Like you had a bad game or you're not playing, let's go get your mind right. And we would go out. You know, Charles Oakley would take me out. But I had Michael Stewart, who was my neighbor. So we used to always play pool at his place and, <laughs> and, and play video games. So it was always somebody there that I, it just wasn't, and even Vince, like hanging with Vince until you know he was so popular. So it was only certain times you can really do things and be with him, but right. can't name one one most fun teammate, man. We had a fun, we had a fun, and we had a hell of a team, man. It was Mark Jackson, my God, like <laughs>
1: those guys, like it was it was unbelievable, man. So I just can't name one. That is fair. Uh, most difficult guy to go up against in practice while you're with the Raptors.
0: Mm. Dell Curry, yeah, just Del, the threes. The threes, man. Like you, <laughs> like you're in practice, and I, I would like to say, because I always practice hard. Like that's the only way I knew.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I always took the challenge of guarding Del because he would run off screens and he would just catch and shoot, like catch and shoot, catch and shoot. And that was the thing. And then you know we start competing so much. Then he would let me know, like. He used to call me Boogie. So he's like, Boogie, you can't guard me. But like he, and <laughs> Del Curry talks so much trash. And it gets you so frustrated because you think you can guard him, but all he needs is a half a, a half a second and he's letting it fly. So he was the most difficult guy for me to guard in practice.
1: Amazing. And last one for you. Do you guys beat the Bucks in the O1 East Finals if Vince makes that shot?
0: Uh yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I think we cause. We, we I, I can't quite remember, but I remember us having success against the Bucks that season and the Sixers that season, especially after we made the trade for Keon Clark and Jerome Williams, because they both were long, athletic guys that could play multiple positions offensively and defensively. And those guys were the key. Jerome Williams was key when we uh, actually beat the Knicks, because they ended up putting Glenn Rice at the four. Mm-hmm. Got small, and we put Jerome Williams in, and Jerome Williams did a great job defending against Glenn Rice. So I, I think we would have really had a good team because the Bucks, if you remember, they played a four. They played Sam Cassell and they played Ray Allen and they had Big Dog and then they would put Tim Thomas in at mm-hmm. the uh, four man. So I think we matched up with them with really well and they weren't a great defensive team. So I think we would have had our way with them defensively. Yeah, I know I mean, Vince. Off- offensively.
1: Yeah, Vince had a run there of scoring like 40 to 50 points on them just about every time he played them. So uh, they certainly didn't have an answer there. Alvin, man, this was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. I hope everything is going all right with you and the family and you're staying safe and everything. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thank you, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That is Alvin Williams, former Toronto Raptors point guard. Uh, That's going to do it for today's show. Please uh, subscribe to, rate, and review. Very much appreciated if you do that on your favorite podcast platforms. Tomorrow on the podcast our pal Freddie Rivas is going to join and we're going to talk about game five of that first round series against the Knicks back in 2001. Going to do a rewatch. I found a very grainy video we're going to do a rewatch and talk about that so please uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks to Build Bar for sponsoring today's podcast and we'll be back again on Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors.
2: Hey prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.